Morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. For those listening online, morning to you also. My associate Pastor Sean Mercer filling in for Pastor Rick this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Philippians chapter 3. We'll uh, stand and read in a moment verses 7 through 11. Um, pretty much going to center on verse 10 this morning. Talk about enjoying the relationship. Philippians chapter 3, go ahead and stand up and we'll read God's word together. So Philippians chapter 3 verse 7, Paul speaking here, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ, yet indeed I also... Count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Please be seated. Okay, so again, centering on verse 10, but we'll kind of get started in verse 3 and work our way down there. Bit of a lengthy introduction, so I don't want you knowing that verse 10 is the goal, and then uh, halfway through figuring are we ordering pizzas or something, so... (laughs) We'll go ahead and get started in verse 3. Again, Paul speaking here to the Philippians, the letter written to them, uh, contains thanksgivings towards them, but also instruction. You know, Paul always took the opportunity to bless those that he spoke to, and in doing so in the letter writing, I'm sure he's being blessed by remembrance, by uh, remembering their faces, his time with them and so forth. So verse 3 here, and uh, again contending against those on the outside, he writes this, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So coming up against those who uh, again thought circumcision was outward only, he's saying it's totally the opposite, it's inward, it's of God, and we should have no confidence in the flesh. And uh, again, as he writes that against those folks who were trying to creep in, coming in behind him, saying, you know, if you're a believer, you need to be circumcised. That's the only way you know, and, and so forth. So comes up against it with that. This morning here with our topic of uh, enjoying the relationship, obviously enjoying the relationship with God, looking at it as a relationship instead of a religion, it's not a set of rules. It's to be entered into with love and affection, both God for that for us and us for him too. Um, for, uh, verses 4 and 5, <clears throat> Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. So here Paul is about to lay out for them his previous life uh, and where he is now where he has come from, where he is now, and the vast difference between that. 
probably a good idea to remember that Paul's writing this some 30 years after his Damascus Road conversion. As he writes it, as he goes into verses 7 through 11, as we just read there, to me it seems that his uh, enjoyment of seeing the past as rubbish In leaving it all behind, there is no sense of lack. There's no sense of remorse, desire to pick up what he left, uh, feel like a longing that he has missed out in any way, shape, or form. Um, As he moves through that, the passion of this is right, this is where I am now, and this is how I got here, as we'll discuss in a moment, to me seems just as real as he writes it as to the day he was converted and left it all behind. Um, Reading verse 5 there, the interesting part, you know, becoming a Pharisee. So verse 5, I'll read it to you. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Paul has a lot going for him at this time where he was, again, circumcised the eighth day following the law. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And concerning the law, he had worked himself to the level of Pharisee. Now, just in case you don't know, you don't become a Pharisee by eating a lot of Cheerios and collecting hundreds of box tops. Send off for your little uh, Pharisee medallion. It is a, an achievement and a work that you set your life after, and being that you have achieved that, you generally stay with that and the enjoyments and the, the luxuries that come along with that forever. You're, you make it there and you stay there. Paul left it behind. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. So again, he's proving, you want to question me about who I am? You want to question me about what I had? You want to question me about what I was doing? I was doing all these things, and I thought I was serving God correctly, serving God robustly, serving God with all my heart. And concerning zeal, you want to ask me about that, I was persecuting the church. So he had letters from the religious leaders. Go ahead and lock Christians up if they chose an opposition to stay in opposition. And Paul was given that authority by them and had no problem exercising it and going about exercising it to its fullest extent. Now, Paul, again, as he's converted, leaves all of this behind. So he's in with the bigwigs. He's in with the religious leaders. He has influence. He's going about their business and their bidding. Um, Again, being used to persecute the church and in a moment's time, Stops, changes, and reverses course totally. And then here, speaking of it, doesn't desire to pick any of it up, doesn't have any longing to return to any of it, enjoys the fact that God called him out of it and has separated him from it. And Paul, again, feels no need to go back or ask questions about how they're doing or catch up with them for breakfast or anything like that as he lives his life. Paul leaves the religion of verses 4 through 6 behind, enters into the relationship. So verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. So what I thought was gain, what I thought I was getting ahead in, what I thought was the right thing to do based on, again, what I believed God to be calling me to, that I left behind and I have counted them loss for Christ. 
I had, a, I had a religion, I had a belief, now I have a relationship. Um, you know, may we follow Paul's lead of being jealous for our life in Christ and again leaving behind the works and the confidence in the flesh. Thinking of God, says in his word, he first loved us. My love for him is in response to the understanding of that. Uh, it says his banner over me is love. It's nice to think about those kind of things. Uh, for all Paul did and grew in the faith, he never lost sight of this. I love him. I know he loves me. Speaking of God, I know he is for me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, Paul very easily could have gained confidence in the flesh as he was converted, as he served, as he was used, as he was poured out of the Lord to countless people over and over again. His full-time ministry being from sunup to sundown and on and on again as the evening wore on too. Able to walk the walk, able to talk it as well, able to stay grounded and enjoy his, uh, again, understanding of the new relationship that he had with God because, again, his life was hid in Christ. Uh, again, easy to talk to talk, but walking the walk as well. So uh, two communists talking together, talking of their belief, talking about hypotheticals. So one's talking to the other. You know, if you had two houses, would you, would you give me a house because you're a you know, communist brother? He said, oh, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd give you a house if you needed a house. And I had two. You could have two. Well, what about two cars? If you had two, can I, can I have a car? Yeah, yeah, sure, that's fine. Well, what about two chickens? If you've got two chickens, can I have a chicken? He said, no, I've got two chickens. There's no way you're having one of my chickens. And it's all good to talk about what you want to do and what you want to believe in, but when rubber meets the road and you've got to hand yourself over a chicken, then no, thank you, I don't want to do that. Um, brings us to abiding. You know, when we're reborn... Why don't these things come naturally? Why doesn't God instill in us the ease and leisure of life to just preach his word? Well, it's the hardships, the trials, and the flesh, again, that all work against us, but yet work together for the good for us. So, you know, part of understanding our relationship with God, abiding in him, uh, it's obviously not a word that we use all that much, so a little bit of explanation to it. So to dwell with, to stay with, uh, the best way I've kind of come to enjoy it is make my home in and with. So to dwell and to stay and to make my home in God and to have him do all of those things in me. So John fifteen four, verses 4 and 5, Jesus speaking here. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You know, in verse 4 there, abide, 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 over and over. Verse 15, though, obviously the thing you're left with is... For without me, you can do nothing. Hopefully it's our heart's desire every day to do something for the Lord. To do many things would be even better. So hear Jesus speaking, for without me, you can do nothing. Well, that's scary and it gets your attention. And I want to be off about my flesh, often about you know God's business in, in my flesh's name. 
I want to understand my place and enjoy working at that relationship for it to be made clear to me. Um, <clears throat> uh, abiding, you know, making your home. So you take a house and you, again, make it a home. You know, thinking of the furnishings, the curtains, the paint, the couches, the smells, the laughter, the, the joy and the memories, the hard times. But adorning our life in Christ with understanding, adorning our life in Christ with the fruits of the Spirit, um, you know, the, the easy way to remember it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, <laughs> it's the kids' ministry. But not, com- not compartmentalizing, you know, our relationship. I abide in the house. I abide in the house of the Lord. And he abides with me and in me and through me. I don't abide in the basement only. I don't abide in the attic only. I freely move. I want him in my house. I want to be in his. And again, I want to move about freely. Um, Good way to picture, you know, my children abide in my house. Easy way to, again, kind of picture it. They contribute, very much valued, uh, loved, and instructed. uh, But they don't get to dictate. So they grow up learning, and we do too. And uh, as we abide, we should enjoy because it's there for us. But we should understand our place. You know, with the kids, at some point they'd get to the uh, dishwashing duty, and uh, I've been able to tell, having a few of them, that uh, you can always tell when the newest apprentice is uh, at the dishwashing ranks. So you get your cereal bowl out. There's a little bit in there for you already. Get you started. And then a uh, little bit of the cutlery's pre-seasoned. So, again, it's uh, as a parent, it's worth living through because I don't want to do dishes. But um, they learn it's not enough to get it wet and soapy. You have to scrub and inspect, repeat the lessons when needed. So, again, just that abiding and the joy that it brings to understand that I am in, I am in the Lord and He in me. I want to set my house in order that he would not just feel comfortable, but be able to move things around, do for me what I can't do for myself through his Holy Spirit, and understand that's where life is. Um, So Acts 27, verse 31 here. So it's uh, Paul in a shipwreck. I'm going to read to you from the New King James and the uh, original King James too. If you're taking notes, though, it's Acts 27, 31. So it's where Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then reading from the King James, same verse, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Again, so we simply decide to stay as Christ's in him. It's not my strength, but it's his strength. We don't abide in our own strength or resolve. When I am born again, I am taking the control I have over my life and giving it over to God. He receives that and he holds us. You know, a word for the fearful about him holding us. um, John John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. I'll read it to you and then make comments. So again, Jesus speaking here. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. 
doesn't say anything about our control. doesn't talk about us wanting to, again, turn from following Christ. But it does speak, again, of Jesus and the Father holding on to us and not letting go. So, you know, when you take your kid and you cross the road, the kid crossing the road is not based on the child's strength. It's not based on whether they want to cross the road or they get distracted. The child understands that they're holding the hand of the parent and the parent is the one who ensures them getting across the road safely, navigating for hazards and all the rest of it. So, again, don't be too caught up on whether I am or not. Press forward knowing you are and enjoy getting to know your Lord. Um, So abiding there, coming also to consuming... And um, as we abide in Christ, we're also to consume him. So John's gospel here in uh, chapter 6, Jesus speaks of himself uh, being the bread of life and to consume him. I just picked a few verses because there's just so many. But where Jesus speaks of, again, consuming him as if you're consuming bread, consuming the bread from the Lord as if it's his flesh. And um, figuratively, obviously, being that it's a spiritual application, not a physical. That's what tripped a lot of people up. They just didn't want to believe because it was too much for them to know that they had to submit and they had to follow. And they were in opposition to that. They just wanted the actual physical bread. Uh, John chapter six thirty three, Jesus here speaking, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, Jesus still speaking, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 53, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Finish with verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, So he who feeds on me will live because of me. Eating the physical bread, you hunger again. And uh, I can attest to this because I do like the bread. (laughs) After trying many times, I can obviously safely agree. You eat the physical bread, you do hunger again. You drink the water, you will thirst again. So obviously Jesus is speaking here of consuming him consuming himself into us. So eat and drink and consume me, and you will never thirst or hunger again. But again, knowing it's spiritual, it's not the physical application only. Uh, we, we hunger and thirst spiritually. We hunger and thirst physically. So again, let the physical take care of the physical, but do pay attention to the spiritual, that your spiritual man, your spiritual woman is being fed. How do we consume him spiritually then, begs the question. Well, reading his word, uh, prayer, uh, learning how to pray. Uh, Nice when you, probably better to do it on your own in the beginning, maybe a little bit, in case you sound like whiny prayer and me, 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 my, my, my kind of thing. So it's good to pray out loud and to hear that and uh, obviously be corrected by the Lord in private versus everyone else. Um, we fellowship. Uh, that may be a little underdone for folks understanding just how much fellowship offers the believer. Um, you're not going to get along with everyone, 
uh, to the point that, you know, you want to have them over for dinner or something. But uh, fellowshipping with other believers offers blessings that you don't see coming. And if you don't, you sell yourself short. Uh, many years ago, I had uh, some folks over to the house, two older couples, and uh, enjoyed serving them. And uh, we're in the wife and I are in the kitchen. We can hear them, you know, talking about aches and pains and doctor's appointments and oh, this is new and this is new and I didn't see this coming and all the rest of it. It was just kind of nice because there's no way we would do that if it wasn't the Lord in common between us all. And we enjoyed serving. And the nice thing was at 7.30, gone. That we're <laughs> out of there. Thanks very much. Have a good day. <laughs> we're like, well, the night is young. What are we going to do? Um, you know, reading his word, opening it up with the understanding and never losing sight of the understanding of, you know, this is words on a page. But this is more than words on a page because this is what I'm to live by. This is what I'm to consume. This is what I'm to chew on and meditate on and understand that this is what feeds me. Um, You know, those at the wedding at Capernaum, you know, who got to see Jesus at work firsthand close up? Well, it would be the servants. They are the ones that fetched the water and they're the ones that went about pouring the wine. They got to see God at work in their midst again close up. Folks at the festival were just, you know, happy to be refreshed. We're to be found in Christ, abiding and consuming him. Very quickly from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Uh, What a high thought and a high verse to understand that the God of the universe, again, wants to participate with us. Um, this is the relationship again we've been created for yes marred by sin less than ideal all of us are going to go out to our vehicles go about our day Uh, get in the flesh at some point and uh, hopefully you'll remember me (laughs) I'm kidding Um, I would rather be found busy about abiding and consuming you know than fleshing it up with my life and not growing I want to abide, I want to consume, there's other things obviously be used. Uh, I, I want to see God not just in me and through me, but in me and through me through others and enjoying the, the progression of from one generation to another to another as well. Um, Jesus as God, obviously as our King, he's our Savior and our Father, wrapped up in our relationship with him is friendship and lordship. But again, good to know our place. So same as abiding, I'm not in his house abiding and dictating. I'm just enjoying being there and being used. Um, Grandma was pretty good at making sure I knew my place. So it wasn't a case of, you know, ever losing sight of that. What was interesting about it that I've come to realize many, many years after it was, that's the building block. If we get that right, if you remember that you're a kid, I'm the adult, if you remember that I control the flow of everything and you just enjoy me caring for you and loving you and and, uh, showering upon you, if you can stay there, we're fine. You want to challenge me and come about, you know, mouthing off and all the rest of it and come against me, then we've got a problem. We're going back to square one. We're sorting that back out. So in our submission to the Lord, 
again, when we start to dictate, when we start to, no, this is my will and I want my will done, again, that's where we run into trouble. Um, even something as simple as friendship. You know, when you do that to a friend, that relationship is strained and it needs repair. Well, with that, we have arrived. <clears throat> so verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Like the verse, because it speaks of him from start to finish. Um, there's four parts to it, which we'll take individually. But as you read through, it does progress from one point to another. So knowing and understanding him, yes, absolutely. Power of his resurrection, yes, absolutely. Uh, sufferings, mm, okay. Take the good with the bad. Conforming to his death. Oh, hang on a minute. So, again, one point leading into the other. But as we're moving through it, we kind of move through our relationship with him as well. First of all, knowing him. That I may know him. Just those words that I may. I'm invited to. Uh, I can take it or leave it. Even when I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Being reborn as well that I may take and leave him at my leisure in the sense of it's not good for me to do that, but I certainly have the freedom to, the free will to um, not read, to not pray, to not learn. Sure, well, that's obviously on the table because, again, my free will, he will not touch. Um, I would like to take a moment, hopefully the beauty of this truth of that I may know him, um, again, the realization, because we all grew up uh, differently, obviously, hopefully for all of us here today, given our lives to Christ and are born again, but that we have asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, have him actively and daily working in us and through us, that we are invited to know our God, that we are invited to study him, to learn how he thinks and sees things and understands and processes to us, to understand him through his word, to grow in our relationship with him more and more as the years roll on, that he invites us to relationship with him, and that is as much as, again, that he has for us, uh, that, he plan that he has plans for us, that he invites us into his labor. <clears throat> that he hears our prayers, and that we can and do bless God. I had to stop there. I don't want to belabor too much, but I do want the beauty of that to hopefully, if it does not create that uh, sense of awe as we read it, hopefully it does, because that we may know him sets us apart from every other religion on earth, every other man-made belief system, because they're all about paying your dues. They're all about getting their will done and not ours. They're not interested in people's growth. They hide behind it, and yet years and years in it, um, unfortunately, it, it, uh, it takes people usually away. It takes them into a fleshly, carnal, again, religion, a belief system that separates. Um, <clears throat> I mean, here you're encouraged to read your Bible, to go home and think about what has been taught, 
to come back and ask questions, uh, to enjoy that process of over and over, week after week, growing and learning. Um, <clears throat> Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. You know, when Jesus yielded his spirit on the cross and it was finished, the veil of the temple was torn. So Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. So that veil that hid the Holy of Holies in the temple, where the high priest would enter one time and without sin, you know, had the bells and the rope. I mean, you just didn't go in there. If the bell stopped moving, it means that you've got to find yourself a new high priest. You drag him out by the rope that you tied around his leg. So that woven veil was thick, very quite thick, and could have really could not have been torn by man. Um, and they knew that too in the temple. That's what's kind of unfortunate. They knew that that to be the case. They saw the temp the veil torn, and just continued to go on about their business with hardened hearts. Um, came to mind about you know to think about how do we explain that trying to tear a phone book and then obviously with that how do you explain a phone book to a kid now it's like what is that um, so phone book you know it's a book it opens like this just in case you know starting with the building blocks of a book and then a phone book not really used to sell phones you had to look up people's number and uh, then use your hand to you know, turn the and you wait for the rotary dial. And uh, so, again, just the impossibility of man in any way, shape, or form to tear that veil. Obviously, the fact that it was torn from top to bottom being of significance as well. Um, but just, again, the hardness of those who witnessed it. You know, we just don't have record. Maybe someone was there and they saw it and repented. Um, Jesus invites us into eternal labor here. So in John fifteen fourteen and 15, so John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, Jesus speaking, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus opened wide, looking to pour into us and to use us, and the progression of us to be friends. He is to be known, and our God wants us to know him. Not simply know of him, not know about him, but made personal with our life's pursuit of intimacy and fellowship. He is to be our consuming fire, consuming us and purifying us by the fire, again, as the dross and ourselves are burned off. You know, when you talk about knowing someone to another person, someone that you know well, that passion and that love comes through your voice, and that other person that you're talking to understands just how much you like that person you're talking about. And it's good to get to that place when you talk about God that you understand how he, again, how he loves us, but why he loves us, what we have been created for, and what awaits us. Um, I'm going to read to you from Song of Solomon. I know it's a little bit outdated, but uh, just enjoy the poetry. Um, 
verse, Song of Solomon, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 5, verse 9. Here is, uh, what is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory and laid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Chapter 6, verse 1. Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside? that we may seek him with you. Again, just the beauty of describing her beloved, and hopefully for us, while we may not use those words, the, the love and the passion and the understanding and the movement of heart that comes out through those verses, uh, hopefully is what we have for our Lord. Um, <clears throat> at the very end there, you know, where they say, where is your beloved gone, O fairest among women? It's like, man, if he looks that good, I want to see him too. And let's go find him. So again, just a nice end to that uh, passage there where they're on board. She gets the green light. They say, well, I mean, what's, what's him more than anyone else? And she just lays it out. And by the end of it, they don't even know what they're doing anymore, why they're standing around. Let's just go find him. Um, progressing to that second point, so leaving behind knowing him, now on to and the power of his resurrection. Um, <clears throat> Jesus' resurrection was God's amen to his perfect sacrifice, complete payment for man's sin. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. End of the verse there. So because of that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it makes me alive in him. As a born again believer, how do I know the Holy Spirit is working in me? Well, here's a few There'd be a tenderness to God's word, its instruction, its correction, willingness to yield to it and to obey. God is in your thoughts and your actions. Again, a desire for the fruits of the spirit. You need me to sing it again? Are you good? Very good. And uh, again, through your life to others. So not just in you, not just receiving and receiving and receiving. There is a season for it, and there is a time. As a new believer, don't be surprised if you don't know a whole lot. Learn and grow. Grow and learn. And then as you do, God's faithful to give you opportunities to be used and to be poured out, sometimes in ways you don't even know. Sometimes you might find out years later. Really, it doesn't matter because it's all his work and he gets the glory anyway. But um, to see God's power through a life, 
You know, instead of what we see a lot of now, people living their life with a Christian T-shirt on. Um, moving on to the fellowship of his sufferings. So I'll, read, I'll reread verse 10 and get to that point. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. <clears throat> so obviously here, fellowship of his sufferings. This would obviously refer to shopping at Costco. Um, if you've never been there, I wouldn't bother. Um, if I knew I had to shop there because of the kids I've got, then you know maybe it'd be different. But anyway, I digress. Colossians chapter three, verse two and three. So Colossians chapter three, verse two. So again, with the mind of the fellowship of his sufferings. So I'll read to you from Colossians chapter three, two. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So hopefully that's evident. That's what I want. That's not just what I want. That's what I want to be said about me. Again, moving from submission at the beginning of the verse there to God and learning again to the mission of being used. And also the cost of the fellowship of his sufferings, again, as an example to us. So the fellowship of his sufferings, because sometimes he suffered quite alone. Um, sometimes it really was just he and the Father that were enduring through things. Sometimes he spoke out loud. When he prayed out loud, really wasn't because he wanted the Father to hear anything special. It's just that he wanted to teach us and give us an example. Um, again, the fellowship of his sufferings, coming into a mindset, an understanding, a realization that that is our portion. That's where life is. That's what we want to shoot for and aim for and work towards. Um, <clears throat> easy here to talk about Abraham, spend some time talking about Abraham, talking about Joseph. I really, uh, on this occasion, for what we have here in our country, you know, it's, um, I'm already 40, so I'm not going to be sold into slavery. I'm really not going to be that much use to anyone. So, again, to talk about Joseph is great because Joseph's life, I mean, just patiently waiting, gets revelations, can't figure out, Joseph, it might be better if you take up, you know, stamp collecting than telling your brother as much, um, Abraham, again, just the promise that he had on his life and all that he endured to get there. So easy to talk about those things, again, as we move, through, move from submission to God in knowing him and on to the power of his resurrection, into the fellowship of his sufferings. Again, what's the cost of the fellowship of his sufferings as an example to us? Well, it's probably mostly just our flesh, not the only one. Certainly not the biggest one for a season, but it is indeed stubborn and constant. Um, how far and deep are we willing to go with our lives as a sacrifice to God this side of heaven? Because on the other side of eternity, it is already automatic. There will be no need to battle against the flesh. There will be no need to, to drag yourself they worship and praise on the other side of eternity for us will be automatic. Here on this side of eternity, we get to show it. We get to choose it. We get to go after it. We get to display it. And we get to enjoy it. Not just what it does for each of us, but what it does to those who receive it as well. 
uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Speaking of Jesus here, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So there's parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark, but uh, read from Luke because Luke's the one that adds the daily there. Not that Matthew and Mark don't have that in mind, it's just spelled out for us uh, there in Luke. So taking up our cross and following after him daily. How does it start? Well, spending time with him in the morning. I know some folks might do devotion time in the evening. In the morning, you've got to find what works for you. But for me, it's in the morning and spending time. And if I don't take that time, that time is not given to me. Uh, and I enjoy that time. It might be five minutes. It might be 20 minutes. I would not get in the habit of making it short, though. I would not get in the habit of the express lane. Because any time that you give to God, you're going to get blessed back. Uh, very much so. But obviously, it doesn't stop there. That we may read. That we may pray that we may learn to pray. You know, we're after the Lord's will and the Lord's mind on these things. We certainly ask because we want to see what we want to see, but we're also mindful that we're finite. We don't see all of it. And again, he's working it together for the good. But working at overcoming and subduing our flesh allows more of the spirit to flourish. Um, even if a ship doesn't need major repairs, still gets dry docked, Scrape off the barnacles, gets a fresh coat of paint, oil changed, etc. Just the general maintenance of life. And again, enjoying time with him, taking up our cross daily. Um, for some of us, includes just going to work, making it through a day with uh, all the hoo-ha that's going on today in the workplace. Um, but navigating through that wisely, uh, that is a reward. That is a reward for the believer to be in submission to God as they navigate through their day, as they navigate through their life and their work and so forth, uh, to understand that he's the one in control, but I still play a part because I can shoot my mouth off and get in trouble, or I can understand that it's not the time and place. I can be led one way or the other. I just want to be led. Uh, at this point, <clears throat> you know, as we progress, knowing God and the, and, the, and the joy and the beauty that that brings, the excitement that that is, that, we, that he would want to know us. You know, because I think for the most part, uh, it's probably easy to think that we get to a certain level. Now, if I mature to this level, then God's interested in me because I'm useful. Or if I mature to this level, I won't put my foot in my mouth so much so I can be more open with my faith. Well, those are all nice things, but really, ideally, from the very beginning, he's interested in you as a prize. You have given yourself to him, and he wants to work not just in you and through you as well uh, to show a different kingdom in your life, that you're submitted to something different than just your flesh and the world. Um, <clears throat> but again, you know, as we move through that we uh, may know him, the power of his resurrection, that we would have fellowship of his sufferings and, and make that a point of our life and set our life after that, uh, might be easy to feel part of a minority. And uh, not really the way, again, because God has his people everywhere and probably you know, don't want to get too carried away with Elijah you know, thinking 
that uh, we're part of the minority, but um, you know, being part of a minority isn't all bad. I'm part of a minority, really not of my own doing, um, really by default. I'm one of uh, five pastors in this church, and only two of us have hair. So <laughs> I'm not talking sprouts, I mean hair. And <laughs> see. In thinking about it, you know, I wasn't sure if that was true overall, but uh, I'll be in the greeting line later. I'll probably be able to get a good idea whether it is. But don't worry, it's been a burden now with inflation. You know, the upkeep, 20 bucks now instead of 15. I do that every six weeks. Yeah, okay, now I'm just bragging. So um, being, we'll move on. Being conformed to his death. Being conformed to his death is not the first step. It's not that we may know him and then be conformed to his death. It is a journey to get there. One that we may know him. One that we may understand now that we know him. It's the power of his resurrection in us and through us and not us. That we may fellowship of his sufferings and be okay with it. Be treated like a servant. Be treated like someone, again, who is at the bidding of their king at the bidding of their father to go do what he wants them to do because he would like to do it, but he wants them to do it for him. And for us, that's good. That's a protection. It keeps us where we want to be. It keeps us where we should be. But being conformed to his death here, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul speaking here, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We grow to understand the example Jesus left for us. Uh, When his heart breaks over sin and we read it, we start to understand that's where we need to have our heart break over sin and learn We see people made in the image of God nowadays, marred by sin, and yet still very much a prize to God and the furtherance of his kingdom. But for the grace of God, there go I. There's a lot of suffering and a lot of pain in this world. And for his heart to break over it while he walked here, and then to have ours break over it as well now. Because it can all change in an instant, can it not? You can be on the road one way and you be, again, knocked off your high horse, so to speak, and be totally changed. And doesn't have to be the lowliest of people. Certainly can be anyone. Again, that remembering of later it's automatic. Now we get to use what he gives for his glory by our own free will and perseverance. Um, On this part just here, I'd like to read a quote from Chuck Smith. Real life is found when you lose your life for Christ's sake. You lose your life in him. When you submit yourself totally to him, you really discover the real meaning and purpose of life itself. But the man who will seek to bring pleasure to God is the man who has discovered life and its meaning and its purpose. And when you start living to please God, you'll find a very satisfying, fulfilling life. Spoken by a man who was very mightily used of the Lord, had a lot of time to consider those things, and had a lot of opportunity to promote himself rather than be used to continue to promote God. Again, this is what we've been created for. 
keeping the focus on serving and growing as the rewards will be waiting for you in eternity. Uh, Paul was never shy about reminding the believer of the rewards that await them. Um, I don't necessarily stand here and promote that that's what you keep in mind only, obviously, but it is part of our faith that as we serve and we understand the cost of serving, uh, we know that we're laying up treasure in heaven. We're taking our time and opportunity and resources that we could spend on ourselves and spending them on our Savior. Um, sometimes not for, again, immediate benefit in the sense we get to see it, but that we understand that's how the process works, and that's how it works best for him, and that's how it works best for me. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And again, Paul finishing off the verse with a good zinger right there, which is your reasonable service. Um, I mean, just to enjoy the comforts that we do and uh, have what we have. Certainly, other parts of the world would have been born into something different and operated there just the same. But here we are. And uh, again, using it for our reasonable service, not getting distracted by the fact that we might feel like we're owed something. Second um, Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Or you're not going to get there by accident, and that's not going to breeze in. Rightly dividing the word of truth is going to take effort and time and labor. Uh, again, I would enjoy the process of it. Um, having talked quite a bit about, again, our life's focus and pursuits, it is good to take a break. I do enjoy watching TV and drooling on myself and not thinking about anything. I'm not trying to stand here and promote that, you know, if we call you at 11.30 at night, I'm just, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading. Not, it's, it's the balance, you know, because... Again, after hearing these things, if you've come out of a place where you're just told that man is the one that controls your religion, man is the one that you've got to please, you've got to ask forgiveness from man, and all that gets taken off the table, and you're now in a personal relationship with God, that's going to take work and understanding. Um, But here, rightly dividing the word of truth, Paul does not leave that off the agenda for the Christian. Just any Christian, doesn't matter if they're teaching or not, should be able to rightly divide the word of truth. doesn't have to have an exhausting you know, theology and thesis of every single verse and every single you know, Greek preposition and all the rest of it. But you should be able to rightly divide the word of truth of where to apply certain parts and where not to. Proverbs would be a good one. They're, all, they're not all uh, concrete standards that apply to every single situation. You've got to navigate your way through, and that's going to take learning. Um, We'll finish up in John chapter 4, verse 31 through 34. So as we've spoken this morning, going to finish up with the reward of such a focus and pursuit of, again, learning our faith, growing in the Lord, having him use us and use, uh, use us to bless other people. 
But here in John chapter 4, verse 31 through 34, it's uh, directly after the woman at the well encounter. Um, Her and Jesus have dialogued. She's gone off back to the village. And uh, verse 31, we pick it up where the disciples come back. In the meantime, so sorry, reading now, John chapter 4, verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And again, his life being an example for us. His, our food is to do the will of him who has sent us. And in Jesus explaining it to them, notice the disciples didn't say, oh yeah, we got that. That's kind of what we figured. We just wanted you to think that we were talking about food. No, they had no idea what he was saying. And they've come to know it again. Once he leaves, the Holy Spirit comes, they are absolute dynamos. At that point, they might have thought back on this time and be like, ah, now I get it. So again, our food is to do his will, and in that we do find spiritual nourishment. Enjoy the relationship. It is filled with worthwhile work for a lifetime, and then it's celebration time. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, very much. Lord, thank you for this time that you would minister to us, that you would join us, that you would be the focus, Lord, and the center of our worship and our attention and our desire. And uh, Lord, may you bless your people as we go about this week. And uh, Father, if there's anyone here who's not given their life to you, may they do so now. May they repeat the prayer, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Recognize you as the only Savior. I give my life to you. I ask you to be my Lord from this time forward. And again, Father, if anyone's made that prayer, may they come forth after service, share it with one of the pastors. In Jesus' name, amen.